1: The following podcast contains explicit language. I just want to ask you about your
0: skepticism about the intelligence community. You are getting the presidential daily brief only once a week.
1: Well, I I get it when I need it. But is is there some skepticism? First of all, these are very good people that are giving me the briefings. And I say, if something should change from this point, immediately call me. I'm available on one minute's notice. I don't have to be told, you know, I'm like a smart person. I don't have to be told the same thing and the same words every single day for the next eight years. Could be eight years, but eight years.
0: It defies belief that somehow Republicans in the Senate are reluctant to either review Russian tactics or ignore them.
1: They have no idea if it's Russia or China Or somebody. It could be somebody sitting in a bed someplace. The
0: facts are stubborn things. They did hack into this campaign. I'm somebody that gets it. And nobody really knows it.
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says nobody really knows whether climate change is real. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. In a way, I guess you could say that's progress. Back during the campaign, Donald Trump knew climate change wasn't real. He said it was a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. Back then, he promised to pull out of the agreement to limit greenhouse gas emissions that Barack Obama agreed to at the Paris summit last year. Now Trump says he's studying it. But don't get your hopes up. When you look at Trump's appointments, he's basically putting enemies of the planet in charge of everything to do with the planet. He put Myron Bell, a libertarian climate change denier, in charge of the transition at the EPA. He picked Scott Pruitt, the Oklahoma attorney general, and a kind of pure shill for the oil and gas industry, to run the EPA. And now, most amazingly of all, he's on the verge of appointing Rex Tillerson, the CEO of ExxonMobil, as secretary of state. Most of the outrage has been about Tillerson's close relationship with Vladimir Putin in the context of the mounting evidence that the Russians tried to throw the election to Trump and maybe did throw the election to Trump. But even if Tillerson didn't have that problem, it would be shocking to put the head of a company that did everything it could to cover up climate change for decades in any kind of position of power. Meanwhile, Trump hasn't named an interior secretary yet, but Sarah Palin is reported to be in the running. A lot of the damage that Trump... Hopes to do, to voting rights, to social programs, is reversible with time and the return of national sanity in another election. But ignoring the threat of climate change is one area where the damage may be absolutely irreversible. There's a point of no return when the polar ice caps melt enough that sea levels begin to rise at an exponential rate. And whether we pass that point may well be determined by decisions taken by Donald Trump over the next four years. Here to discuss Trump's climate catastrophe is Bill McKibben, the environmentalist, distinguished author, and founder of 350.org. I think that name comes from, Bill, if I have this right, the estimate of the maximum concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere that basically makes the planet habitable. Is that is that the idea?
0: Yeah. The scientists tell us that the most carbon we could have in the atmosphere safely is about 350 parts per million. We're sadly well north of that number already, Jacob. We passed 400 earlier this year. We're going up about three parts per million per year, which is why the Arctic and the Antarctic are both melting quickly. It's why the oceans are 30% more acidic than they were 40 years ago. It's why we're smack in the middle of the biggest... Most existential crisis that humans have faced in the course of their civilization.
1: So I just went on 350.org, and there's a headline there that says quite simply, "The CEO of Exxon cannot be the Secretary of State." Bill, why can't the CEO of Exxon be the Secretary of State?
0: Well, it might be might be better to say should not,
1: be? <laughs>
0: um, because I'm I think must to, not. I think yes. uh, turn the I, what's happening right now is completely fascinating we're dropping any pretense. Um, We're just flat out saying, yep, look, we're run by the fossil fuel industry. Now, the fossil fuel industry has been the most powerful political player in America for many years. The Koch brothers, our biggest oil and gas barons, are the biggest political donors. The GOP is more or less a wholly owned subsidiary of the fossil fuel industry. The Democrats have always been terrified of the fossil fuel industry. But they've always... Uh, operated slightly in the shadows. Uh, now we're going to turn over the most important post in the cabinet to uh, a man who spent his entire working life at the biggest fossil fuel company on Earth.
1: ExxonMobil is the biggest, but is there anything about it in particular? I mean, when you presumably you would have a similar objection to the head of any fossil fuel company becoming yes, Secretary of State.
0: but Exxon is... Remarkable. This is a remarkable reward for what we've learned about Exxon in the last year. Great investigative journalism at the L.A. Times, at the Columbia Journalism School, at Inside Climate News, the Pulitzer Prize-winning website, in the last year have detailed the fact that Exxon knew everything there was to know about climate change 30, 35 years ago. And instead of telling the rest of us, they helped mount the massive and effective campaign to make sure that nothing happened about climate. The the notion that scientists were wrong or at least confused would uh, muddy the waters. And they've muddied the waters so effectively that yesterday Mr. Trump went on TV to say, and I quote, no one knows if climate change is real or not. Well, everyone who knows anything about the issue knows. Every climatologist is very well aware that by putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We are raising the Earth's temperature. 2016 was the hottest year we've ever measured on this planet. We're at an absolute hinge moment, not just for our country, or our, uh, we're at a hinge moment for our geological era. And into that comes Donald Trump and Exxon. And, and if they're allowed to proceed as they want to proceed, it's the coup de grace.
1: Does Rex Tillerson and do ExxonMobil deny climate change? I, w- I was under the impression they'd given they a lot of ground it there. They for
0: many, many years. They did
1: deny it, but do they and deny they, it now?
0: And they, Yes. The, his predecessor as CEO, Lee Raymond, infamously gave a talk in China uh, during the time when the Kyoto Treaty was being negotiated, telling the Chinese that it was all a bunch of bunk and that they should go ahead and rapidly develop all the fossil fuels they could, and it wouldn't make any difference. The Exxon under... Tillerson has been mildly more PR-minded, and so they'll occasionally put out a statement saying, we take seriously the issue of climate change. But whenever Tillerson talks about it, he immediately takes it back. As he said memorably in his most extended discussion of it, if it's a problem at all, it's an engineering problem to which we will adapt. As he put it, if we have to move our crop production areas because of the changes in the weather will adapt to that. Well, crop production areas are, I believe, what normal people call farms. (laughs) And we can't just move them because we made it too hot to grow corn in Iowa or Illinois. If we do that, where are we planning to move them? Up into Siberia where there's no soil? I mean, these guys are playing games with the most powerful forces on the earth, and they're doing it so that they can extend their business model another 5, 10, 15 years at a point when it's no longer necessary, at a point where, uh, you know, renewable energy is becoming as cheap as uh, we could ever want.
1: So, Bill, you've been involved in this effort to investigate what Exxon has done to cover up climate change, and you follow the the company very closely. I mean, tell us a little bit more about Tillerson himself and where he fits in. First of all, do do they call him T-Rex? That nickname just seems too obvious to me, but I don't don't know know. if they use
0: it. (laughs) He's in many ways a standard issue kind of character in that world. Um, He's announced that his favorite book was, what do you know, Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged. His specialty has been making deals with some foreign countries, most notably with Russia. And, I mean, of course, this is explosive because of all the other events of the last month or so. But in Tillerson's case, there's not the slightest doubt that he's deeply enmeshed in Russia. Uh, The Wall Street Journal reported that the only American that Putin may have spent more time with than Tillerson is Henry Kissinger. So there you go. Tillerson is such a favorite of Putin's having invested huge amounts of money in Russia that he was literally awarded the and happily accepted the order of friendship with Russia. So he has clearly no personal or corporate problems with Russia's human rights record, with its all its other activities around the world, and sees it purely as a business relationship, which I guess is now what we will see it as, as a nation.
1: ExxonMobil, in a lot of ways, is more like a country than a company. I mean, we sort of think of it as an American company, or a lot of Americans do, because they that's its history. Of it that but way. yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do they, yeah. When they deal with Russia, do they think of themselves as an American company quite dealing with a potential enemy?
0: Quite explicitly, they've said they don't. Steve Call, the tremendous reporter, wrote, a, wrote the definitive book on this, a book called Private Empire that came out a few years ago that I reviewed for the New York Review of Books. And right now, everyone should be pulling it off the library shelf and yep. reading it. Um, it makes it clear that, I mean, they've said very explicitly, we're not an American company. They've tried, they've gone heavily against American foreign policy time and again. For instance, talking down the U.S. government's efforts to deal with, say, the Kyoto Accords. A- and in this case, the disjunction is enormous. If The U.S. government would just lift its sanctions on Russia imposed after its misadventures in Crimea and the Ukraine, then Exxon stands to make billions of dollars, uh, many, many billions of dollars um, from its operations in Russia, which it can't at the moment because of those sanctions. So if you wanted a good answer, a good potential answer as to why Russia might want to mess around in our political life, well as investigative reporters have said over the years, follow the money.
1: Right. So Tillerson's interest is basically giving Russia anything they want in terms of Crimea, Ukraine, Syria, human rights, any other issues, get the sanctions lifted. I mean, that's his interest right now as head of Exxon.
0: That would appear to be. And, and in the larger sense, to make sure that the world is not taking undue or, in his view, rushed or serious action about climate change. Remember, the Secretary of State is the guy in charge of negotiating our climate agreements with the rest of the world. Uh, His boss, Mr. Trump, has said in the past that he wants to repudiate the Paris Climate Agreement signed by 192 heads of state. He said yesterday that he was studying the matter, (laughs) which (laughs) which I got to say is a um,
1: that's a Saturday Night Live sketch right there, it. right? Yes, exactly. Studying, he's he's uh, studying the treaty in French. Uh, but I've seen references to Tillerson himself endorsing the Paris Climate Treaty and supporting a climate, te- as a supporting a carbon tax.
0: Exxon sent out a tweet at some point saying, we, "We support the Paris Climate Treaty." That's about it. And they've said in the past that they support some form of carbon pricing, but uh, no serious thinker believes that they mean a word of it, especially because they've continued to dump all their very large political contributions straight into the laps of politicians who've made it clear they oppose anything to do with carbon pricing or anything else. We're clearly not going to get any of that out of the Trump administration.
1: Put this in the context but a little bit of the other things that Trump has already done on climate. I mean, there is appointing Scott Pruitt at the EPA, the former attorney general of Oklahoma. There is what he said about the Paris Accords. There's what he said about the Keystone XL pipeline, which you were instrumental in blocking. I mean, what's, what's the larger picture here?
0: His transition team at the Department of Energy immediately sent out a memo trying to Get the names of anybody who'd participated in any discussions about climate internationally. The blacklist is underway. Scott Pruitt at EPA is the perfect example. I mean, here's a guy who's literally never devoted a minute of his life to the idea of environmental protection. Just the opposite. A a guy who is a literal, and I mean literal, stenographer for the fossil fuel industry. (laughs) He sent a letter to the EPA uh, a couple of years ago, lambasting them for trying to do anything about the pollution in his state in Oklahoma. It turned out that the letter had been Xeroxed straight off a letter from Kevin Energy, a local oil and gas firm. I mean, it's it's a joke in any serious way, but what it shows is that these guys, you know, that all pretense is over in all the various assaults on fact and reason. Trump people have launched the most central and the most powerful is the attack on physics the attack on the idea that we're going to do anything at all about the greatest problem we've ever wandered into
1: so what's the alternative to despair here and what's you know what's even the point of fighting Rex Tillerson i mean if you don't get him trump's just going to do he'll appoint someone else who's probably just as bad on climate yeah, change
0: that's a reasonable question, <laughs> and I think that the I think that the answer to it, to the degree that there is an answer, is the more resistance we mount, the better the odds that we'll be able to slow down some of what they're trying to do. Not all of it. There are going to be a lot of losses over the next six or eight months. No question about that. He's got power at every branch of government. He's going to use it, and the people around him are ruthless and determined. But after those cascade of losses that are headed our way, um, the reaction will begin to set in. And I imagine it'll set in rather quickly because I think the damage done to the economy, the damage done to the environment, the damage done to human rights will begin to sit badly with lots of people. And that's the point at which we're going to have needed all the resistance and all the organization that we can muster. Uh, so that we can try and fight back, not just to reclaim lost ground, but to go deeply in the direction we need to go. And the one thing that I guess should be said is that there's a certain clarity about this moment that we haven't had before. You know, the Obama administration uh, watched as America, you know, helped as America became the largest oil-producing nation on Earth. It's not like they were not friends to the fossil fuel industry. But their record was mixed. They did a few good things, too. And so it was harder to grasp, uh, harder to have some of these essential, central fights. Now, all pretense is gone. It's entirely clear what and who is in the driver's seat. And they own this now. And they own the consequences. And hopefully, I mean, and this may, at a certain point, be just whistling past the desert, you know, but at a certain point, that's going to have to translate into real and big shifts.
1: It's interesting what you say about the clarity of the moment, Bill. I mean, you were a uh, Bernie Sanders supporter in the primaries. Mm-hmm. Do you have any regrets about that? I mean, do you think the the, the Yeah, I had... have a yeah. big
0: regret, which is that he didn't manage to <laughs> <laughs> because if he had, he would have kicked Donald Trump squarely in the butt. His strengths lined up perfectly with Trump's weaknesses, and it wouldn't even have been close. And, uh, you know, he remains the most popular politician in America. So I'm Incredibly sad that he didn 't end up the nominee because we 'd be having an entirely different conversation
1: today that 's uh that what you say is debatable, of course, but what I wonder is do you think he can do anything now in the Senate? I mean Tillerson seems to have finally been the bridge too far, maybe for some of the Senate Republicans, like John McCain, although not because of climate but because of Russia
0: yeah, I think that there 's a reasonable chance of that we will be able to mount from all quarters, a response to Tillerson, because, you know, it's insane. You do not turn over the most important diplomatic post in the world to someone who's the representative of the biggest fossil fuel company on the planet. You wouldn't do it, you know, it would make no sense any time, but it certainly makes no sense when the most important job that that Secretary of State faces is dealing with the residue of, 150 years of the fossil fuel industry.
1: You're doing a little better at the state level. Uh, Eric Schneiderman, who's the New York Attorney General, has been pursuing this investigation, s- potential suit against Exxon Mobil uh, on the theory that it violated securities laws by misleading investors by not being public about what it knew about climate change. Do you think there is uh, opportunity to hold them accountable at that level?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you think, but my sense is that probably New York State and California are going to be the sort of locuses of resistance to Trumpism in general, and that this is a good example of that, and that we're going to have to count on real bravery from people like Schneiderman and his counterparts in California to have some hope of stemming the tide.
1: Where's where's the fight happening now other than at the state level? I mean, around... Keystone XL. You know, you you led. You got arrested. You were a leader in the big climate change march in New York. Was that uh, two years ago? What's the how are how are the people who are most worried about what this means on climate change going to react collectively?
0: Well, that's a very good question. I think that some of those infrastructure fights are going to be very key. They're obviously going to try and do Keystone, and we'll see what we can do to slow them down. Just as emotional and. Powerful is this fight over the Dakota Access Pipeline because it symbolizes not only Trump's cavalier attitude about the environment but also his casual racism. In that case, he has to decide if he's really going to continue 400 years of the way the U.S. government has treated Native Americans or if he's going to follow the small but important lead that Obama has taken late in his presidency in beginning to grant some notion that it's not okay to just keep pushing things down their throats.
1: So you you won that fight in the sense that the Army Corps of Engineers has, has decided to, to uh, reroute the pipeline, but the, is the concern that as with Keystone XL, that Trump can essentially reverse it, reverse that exactly right. decision his first day in office. That's exactly right. And can he? Does, I mean, doesn't the Army Corps of Engineers have any independence? I mean, can he order them to move it back? <laughs>
0: Obama administration in that case has done their best to make it a little difficult. Instead of denying the permit outright, they said that they were taking it under, they were not granting it, and instead going to set up a whole series of environmental impact studies and things uh, that should keep it in process for months or years. But one senses in Trump that he will do everything he can to cut through protocol of all kinds. I mean, look, this is a guy who can't be, uh, can't be bothered to take the time to have an intelligence briefing because he's such a smart guy. Um, it seems unlikely that he'll let little things like law get in his way when it comes to building more pipelines.
1: I've been speaking to the environmentalist and author Bill McKibben. Bill, thanks for joining me on the show.
0: Thank you very much
1: and for all your good work. purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.